To keep something of value in top condition, you should follow the manufacturer's instructions. It's true for your clothing, your car, and especially your life. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals how the Bible is the instruction manual for humanity. When you follow its instructions, you'll bear fruit for a lifetime. To conclude his message, The Power of God's Word in Your Life, here's David. Once again, I want to thank you for joining us here on Turning Point. Uh, We are almost finished with 2022, and we're preparing our hearts for the beginning of a new year. I want to encourage you to follow along in your Bible as we finish our discussion of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 on today's program. And after today, just one more lesson before we turn the calendar over to the new year, and then we will begin a whole new series of studies for 2023. These messages during this week are meant to help prepare you and your heart and your friends, if you talk about these things, for a new year that's filled and centered on the things of God. And we are very grateful for the opportunity of imparting these truths at this particular time. Today uh, is one of the last opportunities you're going to have to order your copy of Moments with God. That's the devotional book that comes from Turning Point every December. It's for the new year. It includes devotional readings for every day in the coming year, scripture references that correlate to each devotional. And you can have this for a gift of any size in this year-end in gathering of funds for Turning Point. So when you send your gift... Just say, please send me moments with God, and your beautiful devotional will be on its way to you, hopefully so you can begin using it in the early days of the new year. Once again, thank you for your sacrificial giving and for your faithful praying for Turning Point. God is using this ministry because you are undergirding it with uh, the, the way God has blessed you and praying for us and giving to us, and we're so grateful. We know that we are totally dependent on God, but we also know that God does His best work through people. And you're a part of that, and we thank you. Well, let's get started with today's lesson as we open our Bibles together. By the grace of God, I want to be as positive as any man can be, and I'm really a positive person. I want to be positive and not negative, but most of all, I want to be faithful to what the book says. And I'll tell you the truth, friends. If I come to something in the Bible that's hard for me to preach, I'm going to grit my teeth and preach it. because I know I need it as much as you do, the warnings of the Bible. The Bible's profitable for that. Amen? And then the Bible's profitable for encouraging. It says here that the Holy Scriptures are profitable for reproof and for correction. It means that sometimes we do get off the pathway. How many of you know that? I'm not going to take an inventory this morning, but some of you got off the pathway this last year, didn't you? Just a little bit. You were doing pretty good until March, and then it all went south on you. You know what the Bible's good for? The Bible's good for getting you back on the path that you got off of. That's what the word correcting means. You know, the Bible doesn't give up on you when you fail. The Bible just keeps after you until you get back where you belong. And then the Bible is also good for instruction in righteousness, for enabling. John Greenleaf Whittier put it this way. He said, we search the world for truth. We call the good and true, the beautiful from graven stone and written scroll and all old flower fields of the soul. And weary seekers of the best, we come back laden from our quest 
to find that all the sages said is in the book our mothers read. (laughs) Isn't that true? All the truth the sages said are in this book our mothers read. The wonderful word of God. Reasons for being in the word of God. Now let me just take this back and put it in perspective for you. First of all, the Bible is good in saving us. Amen? And it enables us to do what we ought to do. When we get saved, we do what we ought to do. Then the Bible is good for teaching us. And in teaching us, the Bible helps us to know what we ought to do. We find out in the book. When we get saved, we're enabled to do it. When we read the book, we find out what we're supposed to do. And then the Bible is good for correcting, exhorting us to refrain from doing what we ought not to do. You read in the Bible, it tells you don't do this, don't do that. And then the Bible is good for restoring. It encourages us to return to doing what we ought to do that we didn't do and that we got away from doing. Amen? And then the Bible is good for training. It expresses clearly to us what we should do from now on. So here's the picture I have. I'm walking down the road. I don't even know God. And all of a sudden, somebody gives me a tract and I read the book and I get saved. Now, all of a sudden, I have a desire to do something different. What should I do? Well, I start reading this book. This is what I should do. And I start walking along doing what I'm supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, I do something I'm not supposed to do. And I find out that I did it by reading it in the book. I didn't do it on purpose, maybe, but I did it anyway, and I read in the book, and I found out I shouldn't have done it. So now what do I do? Well, I just keep reading, and as I keep reading, the Bible tells me how to get back on the right path. And once I get back on the right path, it's the Word of God that then takes all this experience that I've had in doing the wrong thing and being confronted by the Word of God. Now it gives me instruction and righteousness so I can walk forward in my Christian life, hopefully not making that mistake again, but following in the renewed path of God's Holy Word. Amen? Amen. So every stage of my life before I'm saved, I need the Word of God. As soon as I'm saved, I need the Word of God. When I get off the path, I need the Word of God. When I try to get back on the path, I need the Word of God. And once I'm back on the path, I need the Word of God even more. Man, you got to have this book. That's why for me to preach anything else but the Word of God would be wasting your time and mine. This is the book that can change your life. Now, Paul closes out this little passage by telling us, That the Bible, if we follow it like we've been talking about, will have a certain result in our lives. And I'm going to have to cover this quickly so you listen carefully. It says here that when we do all of this, verse 17, the man of God will be complete, thoroughly equipped, and equipped for every good work. First of all, when we let the Word of God be our goal and our guide, we become spiritually proficient. The word perfect here means complete. It's a word that is used in classical writings to describe how the vertebrae or the joints exactly fit together in the body. They perfectly join together. And the Bible says that when we take God's word seriously and let it be a part of every stage of our life, the result will be that there will be a completeness about us as God's people. We will sense that there's nothing missing. That while we are not perfect in the sense of sinless perfection, Everything we need, we have. And everything that's important, God's doing that work in our life already. We're becoming proficient in our walk with God. 
There's a wonderful prayer in Hebrews that's often used as a benediction that speaks to this. It's Hebrews 13, 21. Listen to this prayer. Let it be our prayer today. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's my prayer, that God would take this book. And Paul says that when we take the book seriously, it makes us proficient, complete in what we do. Notice, secondly, he says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. We become not only spiritually proficient, we become spiritually prepared. The Bible equips us so that we know what to do. This is a picture of a ship that's in the harbor taking on all of the provisions for the trip. Sometimes when we do our ministry cruises, I get on the ship early and I go up on the top deck and I stand on the top deck and I look over and watch what's going on down below. Man, it's amazing. Do you know how much food it takes to feed 2,000 people for a week? Twice as much as it should. (laughs) And they load all that food on that ship with forklifts and trucks and conveyor belts. It takes five or six hours to get all the old stuff off and get all the new stuff on. What Paul is saying when he talks about being fully equipped, he's saying, you, you, you are the ship. You have everything in your cargo that you need. You're ready for anything. When you let the word of God be your, your goal and your purpose and you study it, it doesn't matter what comes along. Your whole county might catch on fire. And you're going to be crazy and scared that your house is going to be one of them. But down deep in your heart, you're going to know, you know, that fire can't burn up what's important to me. That fire can't take my life if I'm out of there. Can't take my children if they're out of there, which of course everybody was. It's going to take your stuff. And that's not fun, especially when you think about all of the treasures that you have in your, in your home, your pictures. Isn't it interesting, when everybody goes back to get their stuff out of their house, they don't get their gold and silver, they get their photo albums. Have you noticed that? Amen. But you know what, if you lose all of that, you're equipped to deal with it. You watch Christians go through that, and you watch unsaved people go through it. Christians are equipped, amen? They got all the cargo aboard, they know everything they need to do. Then there's one last one, and this is really neat. It says, when you have the Bible in your heart and you let it take over every stage of your life, you become not only spiritually proficient and spiritually prepared, but you become spiritually productive. Notice, equipped unto every good work. You say, I didn't think good works were for Christians. You know, I've suspected that some of you thought that. Good works are not to become a Christian, but good works ought to be the very epitome of what a Christian is in this world. Amen? For by grace are you saved through faith and not not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But right next to it, it says, for you are God's creation created unto good works. Isn't that what it says? And just as 1 and 2 Timothy is dominated by the term doctrine, what you know, the book of Titus is dominated by the term good works. Over and over and over again in that little tiny letter to Titus, 
you find the importance of good works. I want to take you through it real quickly as we close today. We become spiritually productive through the word of God so that we can do every good work. Titus 3.8 says this. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. What does that say? Those who are Christians ought to be careful to maintain good works. Now let me get this clear with you. You don't need good works to become a Christian, but if you are a Christian, you will automatically be committed to good works. Good works don't belong in your life necessarily before salvation if you're trying to use that as a way to climb up to God. But good works come as the result of what Christ has done in your life. And the Bible says we're to be careful to maintain good works. Let me tell you something, friends. Christians ought to be good people. I'm tired of folks saying to me, I don't want to hire him, he's a Christian. I've had, had too many Christians working here. I can't deal with Now, sometimes it's because Christians bring condemnation to their company by their good works, but far too often it's because they don't work as hard as the other people. That's a shame. The Bible says that if we're Christians, we ought to be committed to good works. We ought to maintain good works. And I want you to notice all of these passages in Titus that talk about it. First of all, in Titus, we are told that our good works demonstrate our walk. It says here about some people that they profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Did you know that there are some people who walk around talking the faith, but don't know how to walk the faith? Boy, isn't it uncomfortable to be with people like that? You already know they're not walking the faith, but they're up there talking the faith like you wouldn't believe. But their works give them away. You see, our good works demonstrate our walk. Number two, our good works defeat our enemies. Notice chapter two in Titus, verses seven and eight. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility in sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. Why can't he say anything evil about you? It's like Daniel in the Old Testament. They tried to find something about Daniel that they could use to get him arrested. And the Bible says the only thing they could find about Daniel had to do with his walk with God. And the word of God says, if God's word is in you, it will make you a productive Christian, zealous for good works. And when you do your good works, you shut the mouths of people that want to criticize you. Oh, they may talk about your witness. They may talk about your love, but don't let them ever talk about your evil conduct because your good works shut their mouths. Notice thirdly, good works display our faith. This is Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We're not just to be committed to good works, we're to be fanatics about it. When somebody has a problem in our neighborhood, we should be the first ones at the door because that's what Christians do. You don't have to wait till somebody comes and asks you. You're always looking for ways to demonstrate your faith. You know why? Because that's why Christ died. He died to create in us people who were peculiar to him and zealous of good works. And good works describe our citizenship. Chapter three, verses one and two. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. You know what? 
Christians ought to be good citizens. Amen. We ought to be good citizens, subject to the rulers, unless we're being asked to do something that violates our covenant with God. And finally, our good works determine our effectiveness. Verse 14 says, let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. If you don't do good works, you're unproductive. And the Bible says that when you have the word of God in your life, it's going to make you proficient. You're going to be complete. It's going to equip you so you're prepared. And it's going to make you productive. What does it mean to be productive? It means doing something. You know what? Sometimes I think Christians sit around on their hands thinking, you know, if God ever tells me, I'm going to do something. My friend, God's already told you. Get up and do something. If you're not sure, do it anyway if it's good, and God will help you to get it perfect. How many of you know it's easier to steer a car after it's moving? (laughs) Amen? Some of you all, I'm telling you, one of these days, I've heard people say this in this church, when everything's right, I'm going to join the church. My friend, what has to happen? Are you waiting for a voice from heaven? You already got it. It's in the book. Somebody said, I know I should be baptized, Pastor, and I don't know, I'm just waiting till I feel right about it. You aren't ever going to feel right about getting in a pool of water in front of 2,000 people. (laughs) But if God said it, do it. Amen? Amen. Oh, here's one. I know I need to tithe. Hmm. (laughs) Well, if you know it, why aren't you doing it? I mean, I shouldn't have to take four weeks every, every year to teach that to us, but I do it because we have so many new people, because it's good for all of us to be reminded that this is a good work. How many of you know God loves a cheerful giver? <laughs> Amen. Now, let me put all this good work stuff together. In the book of Matthew, in his sermon on the mount, Jesus put it this way. He said, let your light so shine before men, watch this, that they may see your good works and not come up and pat you on the back. That's what we often think. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father. What is the rest of it? Who's in heaven. When people see what we do as Christians because we're productive, because we've been in the Word of God and being nourished by the Word of God, and now we're producing good works, they ought to be saying, you know what? That's one of those Christians. That's one of them. You know, they, they, you know what they call us, don't you? That's one of them. Oh, man, that's a great thought. I'm one of them. How many of you are one of them? (laughs) And let them glorify your Father in heaven because they see the good works you do. There was an old Southern gentleman who was an atheist, and they were trying to get him to become a Christian. And uh, they tried every argument that they could find to teach him what a Christian was. They had all the apologetic arguments. They had every one of the Bible difficulties all answered and paradigmed, and he couldn't believe. But then his daughter, who was a little girl, went to a Sunday school, and she got saved. And she came home, and she began to live like a little Christian in her house. And one day, that old, stiff, hardened, crusty atheist said, All the apologetics in the world could never bring me to believe what you've been trying to get me to believe. But that simple girl that lives in my house, that's been living for God, 
and showing the qualities that I don't have in my life, she's convinced me there is a God and I need to believe in Him. It's our good works. It's the life we live. My friend, if you're walking around spouting Jesus stuff and your life is all messed up, just keep quiet until you bring your life into phase with your message. Because a word without reality does more damage than good. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of us, if we had to be perfect before we could talk about Christ, we'd all be quiet. But you know what I'm talking about. If you're living in a lifestyle that's dishonoring to the Lord, don't be running around giving testimonies. Let your life get clean and right. Then your life will bring honor and glory to the Lord. I've had the responsibility, as some of you know, as the executor of my father's estate. But one of the things that's been great is that I found in my dad's stuff all of his old Bibles. Now, my dad's been preaching the Bible since 1935. And I got his Bible that he preached from in 1935. And all the notes written in the margins. And my goal is to kind of go through them myself, and then I want to give one of those Bibles to all four of my kids. So they know that their spiritual heritage didn't start with me. It goes way back. But you know what I've discovered? My dad was writing notes in his Bible that look like the notes I write in my Bible. Now you say, that's because you're in the family. That's genes. No. It's the same response to God's Word. My dad was preaching messages in 1935 just like the messages I preach today. Oh, there was a different cultural response, but it was the same book. And in 1935 and in 1945 and in 1955 and in 1965 and 75 and 85 and 95, and all the way up until the day before he died in August of year 2000, he was studying this book and teaching this book and preaching this book and trying the best he knew how to live this book. And he wasn't a perfect man by any means. But it was the Word of God that made him what he was that more than likely caused all of his children to be Christians, that raised up a college teaching the Word of God. It was the Word of God. My friend, this is the faith of our fathers. And I just want to start this year out by challenging all of you if you've let this book get dust on it. You know the old saying, don't you, that if all the Christians would blow the dust off of their Bibles, it would be the worst dust storm in history. Well, I'm teasing you a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, some of you take this book to church and you walk out in your car after church and you flip it up in the back window and you never look at it again until you come the next Sunday. Let's make this book work. It's God's word to us. And let's live in it this year. Amen. 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 Well, once again, thank you for listening today and for following along in the teaching of this passage in 2 Timothy and applying it to what's ahead for all of us, 2023. I always love this time of the year. It's a really uh, important time for me as I reflect on what God has done in the year past, Uh, some of the things that I thought we did that we didn't do, some of the things I hoped we would do that didn't get done, and yet many things we never anticipated that God surprised us with. And then prepare your way for the new year and ask Him for the things you know will make a difference in the kingdom. Stretch your mind. Ask God for things that are somewhat impossible to you and watch him go to work. He does that. 
not just for people like me, but for all of us, if we'll trust him. And then don't forget, folks, uh, we have just today and tomorrow for you to ask for the beautiful Moments with God devotional. And I want to make sure that we play this out to the very end so that every single person who wants one of these can get it. You make a gift to Turning Point made out in this year. Send your gift to Turning Point, and in the gift document, ask for your copy of Moments with God. And we'll send it to you as our way of expressing our gratitude for investing in this ministry so that we can go forward into the new year with great momentum. We're so excited about this devotional because it's one of the most beautiful ones we've ever done. We believe you will profit greatly from the readings on the inside. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah is senior pastor. How is God blessing you through this ministry? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional for 2023, Moments with God. It's a great tool for daily inspiration in the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude our special messages for the new year on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Life is filled with moments, and to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The great British author C.S. Lewis wrote, There are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. If our entire existence lasts only 70 or 80 years, we will have one set of priorities. But if we will live forever, well, that's a different story. 
It raises lots of questions and creates a new set of priorities. Mainly, what do I do in this life that determines where and how I will spend my eternal life? This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's priorities for life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.